0: Here you go. That's a nice one. I made that. It's a piece of junk. Yeah, I have the red truck. Well, you can't have the red truck. See, that was a limited time offer only. It's uh, right here in the fine print.
1: Even kids know it's wrong to hide behind fine print.
0: Would you like to go for a ride in that bike? Okay. Okay. Whoa! <laughs> See, the terms require you to keep the bike in this predetermined space. If you want to take the bike out, I'm going to have to charge you a penalty.
1: You can't
0: really ride in this little space. You can't ride very far. <laughs> Even kids know an offer shouldn't come with
1: ridiculous conditions. Why don't banks? We're Ally, a new bank whose no-penalty CD lets you withdraw all your money and bring it anywhere.
0: Okay, well, we're in this uh, series called 31 in 31 and uh, reading the book of Proverbs together over the 31 days of October. And um, if you've participated in this uh, with me, I've been participating with you, uh, you're like me. You see all these discrete, sometimes very catchy statements scattered throughout the Book of Proverbs. It's almost dizzying. At some point, you read so many different ideas, and so I've kind of thought, well, what are some of the meta themes? Some of the the, the framework that could put some uh, infrastructure into all these discrete statements. And one of the things that surfaced for me as I've been reading through the Book of Proverbs is that the writers of these these wise sayings are attempting to expose for us the fine print associated with foolishness. You know, you, you, you may have been bitten by an offer uh, that looks so attractive and you said, I just want to, I think this is just a no-brainer. I can't, I can't say no to this. And then you kind of launch in the direction of that decision only to find out that there's all this fine print that you hadn't factored in and you feel burned by it. And that's the way foolishness is. For example, in Proverbs Five, it says that the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. The initial offer, you know, we talked about sex a few weeks ago. In some ways, there's there's an offer that seems very attractive, but there's some fine print that you need to take into consideration as you're making your decision. Or a borrower, Proverbs 22 says, is a slave to the lender. So before you view debt as a solution to your problem, just read the fine print. And so there's a, there's a sense that throughout this book of Proverbs, we're being uh, having the, the fine print associated with foolishness exposed for us, and we're invited to read it and, and let that factor in to the decisions that we make. And uh, so this, this 31 in 31 is really an opportunity for you to say, uh, God, with my Bible open and my heart open to you, would you teach me what it means to to walk in the way of wisdom? Uh, to live with skill. Uh, an open Bible and an open heart are a powerful combination. And, uh, and that's what 31 and 31 is really built on, is that belief that, uh, that it's good to read the Bible. And so if you've been participating, hang in there. Uh, if you haven't, start today. Uh, chapter 18 of Proverbs, read to the end, or start today in chapter 1. There's really no association... Uh, between October and Proverbs, other than the fact that we just decided to do it in October. So if you want to start today in chapter 1, that's perfectly okay uh, and be a part of this uh, with us. But today, as we're moving through this series, uh, we've talked about sex and politics, and today, uh, to kind of wrap up the trifecta, we're going to talk about money. So get out your checkbooks, this is going to be a big one, all right? No, that's the hand grenade aspect of it. But uh, we're going to talk about money, and, and um, I read an article recently uh, by Tamara Holmes, who writes for uh, Bankrate.com. She she basically uh, wrote on the premise that the way we handle our cash, meaning the money that you have in your pocket right now, whether it's in a clip or a wallet or in a pocketbook, the way you handle that cash says a lot about what you think about money. And she has some categories for each one of us. She said, some of you are, are, are like this. You're the money's there somewhere person, meaning you don't really carry cash. You just swipe the debit card and hope. You know, if it goes through, great. If not, you make the perp walk out of the store and, uh, and just deal with the consequences later. Uh, some of you are chaotic cash people, meaning you've got money wadded up and crammed into your pocket. It's, you know, folded in all different directions in a wallet, change in the floorboard of your car. She says um, that that means that uh, either A, you're cavalier about money, or B, you don't believe you really deserve it. So, you you know, work that out with your counselor. The, um, the uh, unruly receipt person, which uh, sometimes I fall in this category, you're the person who collects all your receipts, but you never do anything with them. You know, you're just... <laughs> You take all the data in, but it never really influences decisions or behavior or anything like that. And then finally, there are those that she calls the file folder funds person. Now, what this means is that you take your your money, the precious money that you've been given, and you... Make sure it's all nice and smooth, and you stack it in your wallet in dollar-denominated order, and uh, you know exactly where every penny is every day. She says, you have great control over your funds, but you're probably scary to be around. So (laughs) that is uh, the file folder funds person. So I don't know if any of that's true, but I do know that her premise is basically true, which is that our money and the way we relate to it says a lot about who we are and what we value, and so this morning, what we want to kind of push into a little bit is, what's the state of your relationship with your money?
1: Yeah, hey baby, how, how you doing? E- yeah, I know you told me not to call, but um, hey, um. What's happening? What, what, what's going on with us? Um, hello? Hello? My money's been acting funny lately. Just strange and usual. Okay, look, look, I admit, I'm not totally surprised. This isn't the first time that every now and then I can expect money to disappear for a while. But watch me smile when I see her back in my hands. But my money's been acting funny lately. And not ha-ha funny, I'm talking strange, weird, different type of funny. This time money's gone all out, Uh, leaving me and showing up and leaving just as quickly as she came, ignoring me, sometimes treating me like a poor man. What did I do, boo? (laughs) All I ever did was loved you, maybe too much. Because now it's like, now it's like we're not cool anymore. What have I done, money? We used to be inseparable. But lately, my money's been acting funny. And truth be told, I haven't seen money in months. But I've got more than a hunch that she's playing me, trying to make me jealous, hanging out with other fellas, always in some other guy's pocket. (laughs) I try to tell her about those other guys. Those other guys are just using her. They're just using you, money. She didn't want to hear me. She didn't return my phone calls anymore. She didn't stop by the house like she used to. She didn't want to go to movies with me. She doesn't even want to go with me to get something to eat. And you know a fella can't eat without money. Okay, I need you. My life revolves around you. I can't replace your money. Believe me, I've tried. There's only so much bread and water I can take. Call me sport, but I remember the days when we, people used to see us at the hottest clubs, expensive restaurants, all the high-priced stores. I made sure I looked good with money. I treated you right. I never abused you. Or did I? Money, did I abuse you? Did I love you too much? Did I get used to you hanging around, and now you giving me a taste of what it feels like to live without you? P- people still think we're tight. They still ask about you. I-, I don't like them all in my business, so I just reply. You know, money and I aren't as close as we used to be. <laughs> my money's been acting funny lately. I can't even call out her name when I'm shooting ball. Oh, oh, I I saw her the other day at South Park Mall. She didn't even acknowledge me. She looked at me like, What you doing in South Park Mall? (laughs) As if I didn't belong. I tell you, I don't know what I did, but my money's been acting funny. I haven't seen her around lately, and I think I'm starting to miss her. I think she's spreading lies about me. I haven't seen her. My other friends, like American Express, Visa, MasterCard, now they're starting to act shady. I think she's spreading lies about me. Yeah, I tell you, I I don't know what I did. My money's been acting real funny lately. And I don't know her anymore. My life's just not the same. and never will be until money comes back into it. So if you see her, or any of her cousins because she's got a whole bunch of family running around. Tell her that I miss her and that I love her and I want her to come home back into my world.
0: So, you know, if you're like me or like Simon, your money's been acting funny and it's really kind of heightened this issue uh, lately about our relationship with our money. And I believe that that's what Proverbs really speaks into, is what is the nature of your relationship with money? And how is money affecting all the other relationships around you? And so what I've done over the last couple of weeks, as I've been reading along in Proverbs with you, is I've just kind of cataloged all the the statements that are made there about money. And I did exactly what you would do if you're going to write a talk uh, from Proverbs about Money. is I put all of those verses in a in an Excel file, and I created a column uh, called category, and I started categorizing all of those verses, and I came up with three. Uh, that there's uh, there's some of these verses that really talk about my relationship with money as it relates to my heart. What do I believe about money? Some of these verses talk about my relationship with my money in my head. How do I think about money? And uh, what what should I what does a wise person how does a wise person make financial decisions and then some of the verses have to do with money in my hands what do I do with my money and so that's kind of what we're going to walk through this morning is uh, is money as it relates to our heart our head and our hands okay so to start with what do you believe about money what does Proverbs say about money and your heart well. Proverbs teaches us one very powerful lesson uh, about money and our hearts. Uh, Proverbs teaches us that money, money can rival Christ for the affection of our hearts. Think about that. Money can rival Christ for the affections of our hearts. Proverbs chapter 18, which is really the kind of the the core passage for this uh, talk this morning. Says this as it relates to our money. It says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are saved. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. Now, what's happening in that? The writer is really holding in contrast, you know, two different perspectives, two different beliefs. Uh, one heart that is resting in Christ. Resting in God and another heart that's seeking shelter uh, in financial security or in money that's stashed away for the future. The name of the Lord, uh, the writer says, uh, in in, in referencing the name of the Lord, is is talking about the character of God, who He is, what He's promised. God Himself is a strong tower. Think about sort of a, a, a castle on a high hill that you would run to for security if you were threatened by an enemy. So for one, the name of the Lord, God, His character, who He is, what He's promised, what He said to you about Himself and about His love for you. The name of the Lord is a strong, safe, secure tower. And you can run there and be saved. But rivaling that is this belief, imaginary belief, That uh, our wealth can be a fortified city uh, and an unscalable wall. So money can rival Christ for the affection of our hearts. Where do you run when you feel threatened? What do you believe about security? Do you believe that your money is ultimately your safety net? I want to have money stashed away so that I can face the future with confidence. See, that contrast of A heart resting in the character and promises of God and seeking shelter in financial security is really at the heart of the matter of our relationship with our money. One is real. There really is safety to be found in running to the name of the Lord. And one is imaginary. Uh, There really isn't security. That unscalable wall can be scaled. We've all learned that recently, if not before that that shelter that we seek in financial security is only imaginary. So who or what is your strong tower? really is a question of rivalry. Does, does Christ own the affections of your heart or is there a rival in your pocket called money? Proverbs 10.3 says that the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. So that when our hearts have settled this issue, of where life is found. We can live with peace and confidence because we know there's, that, that God will provide all that we need to accomplish all that He has for us. We can locate our faith in who God is and in what He's promised. The degree to which a stock market crash or a stock market run-up can cause us anxiety or euphoria is really the degree to which our faith may in fact Not be resting in the name of the Lord, but in fact, resting in our money. See, when I evaluate my relationship with money, I get a glimpse of the location of my faith. If when your financial security or your sense of affluence is threatened and you become angry or anxious or insecure, then you can conclude that at the level of the heart, and to some degree, You believe that money is the source of security, significance, and life. That it really is the strong tower. And in that moment, it is a rival to Christ for the affections of your heart. Listen to this verse from the Proverbs. This is one of those verses that just exposes us for the frauds that we often are. It says, Proverbs 10, verse 7. One pretends to be rich, but has nothing. Another Pretends to have nothing or pretends to be poor yet has great wealth. Now, I don't think that that's a contrast of good and bad. I think he's describing two people who have an unhealthy relationship with their money. On the one hand, you have someone who is externalizing uh, their significance and they're playing a grown up version of dress up. You've done it. I mean, not out loud, but to yourself, just go ahead and admit it. You've done it. You've pretended to be something more than you are or to have something more than you have in order to fit in or to be accepted or to be part of the group. You know, you've dressed up to go to South Park Mall so that you don't get that scour from somebody else who's like uh, Simon's money going, what are you here? You don't look like you belong. So you've done that. I've done that. We've all done pretend dress up things like that. And uh, and that that's what this verse is describing is someone who thinks their identity is sort of externalized into what they have and the experiences that they've put together. Uh, we have three or four boxes just crammed full of dress-up clothes that we've collected over the years. Uh, you know, all kinds of things that, that kids love to, 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 to pull out when they come to our house and dress up like a princess or dress up like a cowboy or a dragon slayer, whatever they could come up with in their imagination. There's some kind of costume in that box that they can put together to to match their imagination. And that's perfectly normal. They're kids, they're playing dress up. But some of us are still playing dress up because we believe our identity is in our experiences and what we appear to have, how we're perceived by other people because we really haven't settled this rivalry in our hearts between God as our strong tower and the illusion of money as a strong tower. So there's this person who's externalizing their significance and pretending or dressing up as something that they really aren't. There's a person who's internalizing their significance. And they love to be underestimated. In fact, they... Uh, When when you underestimate them, it makes it all the sweeter. The secret knowledge of their financial strength all the sweeter. It makes that secret so delightful because uh, you've underestimated them. In either case, money is elevated from a means of doing good that we're going to talk about in a few minutes to a means of self-justification or identity creation. And all because we haven't established or resolved this rivalry that can exist in our hearts between money as an illusionary strong tower and God, the character of God, who He is and what He's promised as a real strong tower where life and security and safety can be found. So how about you? What do you believe about money? Have you resolved this rivalry that can exist at the level of our hearts? To have a healthy relationship with our money, we've got to resolve this rivalry and have a healthy relationship with the God who made us for Himself. You know, We've got to resolve this rivalry question. Psalm 73, verse 28 uh, says, But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. Now, this is a conclusion to a process. It began in verse 1 with this particular individual's kind of whining before God and saying, you know what? I try to do all the right things and I keep getting behind and I look around and there are people who are breaking rules left and right and they seem to be getting ahead. What good is it to follow God? And at the point of despair, God meets this person and begins to unfold to him the reality of where life is found so that at the very end of the psalm, he can declare this Rivalry resolved by saying, "But as for me, regardless of whether or not my stack of money is this high or goes beyond my ability to see, as for me, the nearness of God is my good. That is where life is found in proximity with God." Proverbs four 9, uh, Philippians four nineteen says, "My God will supply all of your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. There is enough, and God will provide." All that you need. Galatians 4, 4-7 through 7 says that God sent Jesus to resolve the identity question. You no longer have to be a slave, but you are adopted as a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Your identity has been transformed. You're no longer a slave to expectations and prejudice and perceptions and opinions. You're a child of the true and living God whose love for you is settled. So have you resolved that rivalry question? Have you decided where your strong tower is? A couple of final thoughts about the heart issues as it relates to our relationship with money. This really has nothing to do with how much or how little money you have. That's not the point here. It has everything to do with your relationship with money. Some of us may need to look for ways to make more money. You know, job retraining, a second job, uh, uh, you know, trying to network into a better opportunity. Some of us may need to remove ourselves from a rat race of a job that pays incredibly well in order to invest in some things that have been neglected. So don't conclude from this. That I'm saying that having more money is bad and having less money is good. I am saying that the question isn't about the amount of money you hold, but the degree to which your money has a hold on you and on your heart. So resolve the rivalry question. It really is the core issue uh, as it relates to money and living wisely with money. In fact, you can think wisely about your money, you can act wisely with your money, and we're going to talk about that, and still be a slave to your money if you haven't resolved these core issues of the heart. So, who or what is your strong tower? Where do you run when you feel threatened? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. You can run there, and you will, in fact, actually be safe. Or you can continue to run to an illusion of an unscalable wall that will eventually break down and disappoint. So that's the heavy piece. That's the issue of the heart that has to be resolved. So let's move on to a couple of practical issues of how you think and how you act uh, with your money. The second question that, uh, as I work through these verses of in Proverbs, that, that seem to surface is, how does a wise person make financial decisions? Now, not attempting to be comprehensive with this, but just illustrative of the way a wise person thinks about their money. Uh, the first thing that Proverbs teaches us about the way a wise person thinks about money is that they, they, they think of money as a means for preparing for the future. Uh, Proverbs chapter 10 verse 5 says that a, person, a wise person gathers in the summer. Uh, 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 he who gathers in the summer is a prudent son. But uh, he who sleeps during a harvest is a disgraceful son. You know, a wise person thinks about their money this way. It's not always going to be harvest time. You're going to encounter some winter seasons. There is seasonality woven into the fabric of the world that God has made for us to live in. And a wise person understands that and thinks about that as it relates to their money. Now, a personal, you know, just confession, reality, anecdote. I don't know what category to put it in, but I am a reluctant saver. I'm a reluctant retirement planner because I like right now by the way I mean now is real now is here now is good you know so let's do things right now and uh, let tomorrow worry about itself Uh, so uh, that's kind of where I am and 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 in fact is I kind of like working so I don't even like to imagine not going to work or not being a part of some kind of labor you know I really enjoy that but uh, the more gray hair I get and this unexplained pain in my shoulder that I really can't come up with a, uh, an explanation for uh, lets me know that I'm mortal and there may be a day when I can't work and so to what degree am I going to be prepared for that probability, if not eventuality you say a wise person views money as a means for preparing for the future, now if you haven't resolved the heart question, if you haven't resolved the, this rivalry at the level of the heart over uh, God and your money you will either over-prepare or under-prepare for the future. You will use your money, uh, you will use preparing for the future as an excuse to hoard and over-prepare for the future so that you can eliminate you know, any threat uh, or any uh, potential um, uh, attack on your security, or you will under-prepare for the future and squander the opportunity that you have to prepare for it. So even as we think about our money, we're always brought back to the heart and what we believe about our money. So it's wise to think about the future as it relates to our money. And that's really an issue of margin, building appropriate margins into our financial life. So a wise person thinks about their money as a means for preparing for the future. A wise person thinks about their money as a means for doing good. That really, that's what we've been given uh, this this money comes to us as a means for doing good, a means for providing an inheritance for the next generation. The writer of Proverbs says in chapter ten, verse twenty-two, that a good man thinks about the future and and views his money as a means for preparing an inheritance for his children for the next generation. Uh, money can be a way of blessing the next generation, but again, this is another example of the way we can't detach our thinking about our money from our belief. Uh, if I haven't resolved the heart issue uh, uh, around my money, uh, I'll become like people that I've seen who use inheritance as a means of manipulation. They see money as their power, their ability to control, their ability to relationally purchase something that approximates love or appreciation. Because in reality, money is, is their power. Money is the hook. But when we're free when we've resolved this issue at the level of the heart as it relates to our money, then we can view money, we can think about money as just a means of blessing the next generation. Not only is means of, uh, money a means of doing good for the next generation, money is a means uh, for doing good to those in need. Proverbs fourteen thirty one: that when we're generous to those in need, we honor our maker. So money is a means of doing good, especially the kind of good that is directed at those in need. And I heard a a preacher, and uh, believe me, there are plenty of ways to misunderstand what he said uh, and what uh, I'm about to repeat. He said, if God can get it through you, he'll give it to you. So just think about that and all the ways you can uh, misinterpret that and go off in a bad direction. But I do know this, that part of the reason he gives it to you is to get it through you. It's a means. It's a means of doing good, especially the kind of good that's directed at those in need. So that's how a wise person thinks about their money. They see it as a means for preparing for the future. They see it as a means for doing good uh, for the next generation and for those in need. So what does a wise person do? If that's the way a wise person thinks about their money, what does a wise person do with their money? Well, let me just bullet a couple of issues that are kind of elevated in the book of Proverbs and then we'll wrap up. The first thing that it says uh, that we need to make note of is that we work hard to earn it. That there is some kind of exchange that is honorable and good and right uh, between our labor and the reward that we receive from it. Proverbs chapter ten verse four says that a slack hand causes pro- poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs chapter fourteen verse twenty three says that in all toil there's there's some profit. <laughs> all hard wi- work brings a profit. But mere talk leads only to poverty. So don't be a big talker. Get up and do something. If you want a better job, work harder at the one you have. You know? Get some additional training. Set up some networking appointments, you know? Uh, all hard work brings profit. Mere talk is what leads to poverty. Um, I do sales effectiveness consulting, and one of the first things we do when we encounter, Uh, or uh, enter into an engagement with a client is that we begin to track sales activity because you'll not outsell the number of calls that you make and the number of appointments that you set up and the number of proposals that you deliver. And so to some degree, if you want a certain result, you've got to get activity in line with that desired result. And that's to some degree what the Proverbs is communicating to us is that we work hard to earn uh, the money that, that we receive in exchange for our effort. Proverbs is exposing the folly, the fine print associated with the folly of mere talk. Second thing that Proverbs says about what we do with our money is that we give it generously. Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25 says that there are some who give freely and gain even more. And then there's another who withholds unduly and comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. A wise person recognizes that money is a means for doing good and is quick to respond to the opportunities that they're presented with. So maybe even some of the things that Mark presented us with this morning are really an opportunity for us to give generously. Uh, there is one who gives generously and their wealth isn't depleted. I mean, that's an amazing statement, but one that, that many have experienced and, 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 known, and know to be true. And the final thing that I would say that's just sort of wisdom around how we relate to our money in terms of what we do with it that, that we capture out of the Proverbs is found in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. I've already referenced that it. it says uh, that a borrower is a slave to the lender. A borrower is a servant to the lender. Now, what does that mean? I don't think that's a moral statement. I don't think he's attempting in this comment to Distinguish right from wrong. I think he's just making a statement of fact that when you borrow, you become bound to the lender until that debt is resolved. The lender, by the fact of the relationship that you've entered into with them, has a say in every decision you make. Debt is a contract the borrower receives from the lender because of a rational expectation for repayment, often with interest. So I don't know what that means in terms of your next automobile purchase. I don't know what that means in terms of how you might finance graduate school. I don't know what that means about how you pay for lunch this afternoon. I do know that a wise person thinks about the fine print associated with debt before they view it as a solution because a borrower statement of fact is a slave to the lender is a servant to the lender so if you are wise in terms of what you do with your money uh, you'll read the fine print as it relates as it relates to debt so to build a healthy relationship with our money, regardless of how it acts, uh, to build a healthy relationship with our money, we really need to address issues at the heart level in our thinking and in our doing. But primarily, you know, the place where freedom is really found is at this level of the heart. The issues of the heart are the ones that ultimately determine whether or not we live in freedom or bondage as it relates to our money. Now, you're familiar with sort of the normal distribution, right? I mean, this is kind of saying, in, you know, there's, there's average and there's extreme. And in, in most cases, uh, you know, most of us, in fact, I'd venture to say every one of us, live very much in the average, you know. We live very much, you know, kind of clustered around the mean. But some of us, as we live this, you know, relatively average life, do so in incredible fear of the kind of the, the worst case scenario, the negative extreme, the negative tail. And we and we believe that money is a means to power and security that will enable us to avoid the thing that we fear the most, whatever that is that we see out there at the negative extreme. Others of us, you know, view money as a means for uh, comfort and approval as we attempt to mimic sort of the positive positive tale. The place where we think, you know, sort of life is most richly enjoyed. And, And we view money, we pursue money, we spend money, we incur indebtedness because we believe somewhere out there we can approximate, we can mimic that positive tale and we can have the comfort and the significance that our heart craves. Or we believe that somehow if we stash enough away or, or build up our reserves to a significant uh, level, that we can avoid the calamity that we fear. We can have the power and security in our own hands to avoid the worst-case scenario. So think about that. I mean, if, if you just, in, an, in a sort of an honest evaluation right now, had to say, you know, kind of what is the state of your relationship with your money? Is it one in which money is sort of a means for comfort and/or approval, or money as a means for power and security? Do you live primarily with sort of a nagging fear uh, that you're going to have the worst case scenario occur, or do you live with a nagging fear that you're going to be left out of an experience? Are left out of a group. And money somehow to us. Seems like the solution to that fear. Well. Proverbs 18 is very clear. That uh, money is. An, an imaginary unscalable wall. And that there really is. Only one strong tower. That we can run to. And find the comfort and approval. The safety. The security. The relationship. The love that our hearts were created for. Jesus sort of reflected that same theme in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief, and in this case, the thief is any of the false gods that are listed here. Uh, They they promise a lot, deliver little. They only come to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that you might find life and that more abundantly. And that really is the invitation of the gospel to resolve this rivalry issue and say God money is a means it's a means for doing good it's a means for blessing the next generation I can prepare for the future You know, I can make wise decisions in terms of how I use it what I do with it but it's not a savior uh, only you Jesus offer that promise in reality the invitation of the gospel is to repent of money as a false god and turn in faith to the true and living God and His offer of abundant life. Let's pray together. Father, the only way we're going to have a healthy relationship with our money is to have a healthy relationship with You. And so I pray, God, that You would give us grace to turn from our fear of the worst case scenario and the belief that somehow money can protect us from it, or our fear of being left out and our belief that somehow money is our ability to buy in, to turn from those false gods and to, by faith, receive your gift of life, the transforming reality of your grace and your goodness. Uh, would you just really pour out that grace on us, even now as we as we respond back to you in worship. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.